All right. We are continuing in our Imperfect Together series this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told his parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Cindy. Well, good morning, current family. It's good to be with you here today. If you're joining us for the first time, either from the Art and Wine Festival or from another means, we are so glad that you're here. Again, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, uh, we're excited to continue today uh, the vision series we're going through, Imperfect Together. But I want to pause with that for one moment because we have a very special guest that I would love to introduce uh, to you and actually thank as well uh, Pastor Glenn Stone. Uh, if you'd be willing to come up here, I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to pray for us here in a, in a, in a moment. Pastor Glenn Stone is the uh, pa- senior pastor of Moberly Church in, in East Texas, Longview. And uh, to say that uh, God, uh, if, if not for God working through this church, we would not be the church that we are today. And seeing kind of the impact that we are seeing today, if not for God working through Moberly, feels like a bit of an understatement. Uh, and I am so thrilled and filled just to be able to share with you one, uh, a face of uh, one of the many churches behind the scenes that represents God's working here in the life of this church. I do want to share uh, uh, one story here because I just, I just relish this opportunity. And it's a story I actually haven't shared with hardly anybody, uh, including, uh, I think I've shared this with Cindy. Um, <laughs> oh boy, where are we going with this? But in the earliest of days, in the earliest of days, uh, when we just launched, uh, set out to launch this church, so long before even, you know, starting everything, uh, we, we jumped off the proverbial cliff of like, okay, we feel like we have the strong sense of calling, we're just going to go for it and, and see uh, how God chooses to move. Uh, I remember those earliest of days, that brought a lot of anxiety, <laughs> if I'm real with you. And I remember one time I was hanging out with the family, with the kids, with Cindy, and I actually had to excuse myself from hanging out with them. Didn't really tell them. They didn't really know what was going on. But I went upstairs into the room, closed, locked the door, and sprawled out over the bed and just started praying. And I was just asking the Lord, God, how is this going to work? God, how, how is this going to work? I, I know you've given us a real strong sense of calling. I know you've been bringing together a team that's, that's amazing. But Lord, how is this going to work financially in terms of like having people surround us like, this is the Bay Area, this is Silicon Valley, where financially we need support, but we also just need, we're going to be a young church, we need others just to come alongside us. And I'll be real with you, that prayer, I had clenched jaw and tears coming down. I don't remember a whole lot of that prayer, other than I remember the Lord, it seems to me, saying something, it, it may not have been Him, this is not a normal thing for me, but I remember that prayer, it coming to mind of like, it has to be like a mountain that's moved. And the very next thought that came to my mind was, Oh, and Jesus says something about moving mountains in the scriptures. And I just remember thinking, you know what? Again, clenched jaw, tears. If that's how you're going to move, you're going to have to move mountains. So be it, Lord, because that's the only way it's going to happen as far as I see it. But if it works that way, it'll mean it only 
you will have been the reason for that. There will have been no other credit or anything like that. I said, God, would you, would you bring some partnering churches to join us in this, in this midst? Uh, so that, that, and I ended that prayer with, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen. <laughs> um, and uh, it was, that was the end of 2015, the early part of 2016. I got a call from uh, Marberly Church. And one other church that happened to coincide, coincide in the same week, independently of each other, who said, hey, we believe in what God's doing. We want to partner with you. And uh, I was very excited in that conversation, to say the least. I hung up, I dropped down on the ground again. And uh, anyways, that's, the, boy, <laughs> that's, that's the, pa- the pastor, of the broken pastor that was, that was in that season. But I, all that I say that to say is we are so thankful for churches like Moberly because we would not be here if not for Pastor Glenn and his vision to, to see that through. The other thing I want to say real quickly here that's really exciting about today is you know that that uh, we've been mentioning a Storyline Church in Oakland that's, that's planting today, launching today. This is their first Sunday service. Uh, Pastor Akeem and, and Jamie Smith are launching that. These guys are partnering with them. They have a, part of his team is up there helping them uh, this morning. And uh, actually, all, 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 all out there, uh, when I heard that these guys, you know, Marbley was partnering with them, I knew that I didn't really have to vet and try to figure out all this stuff. I was like, man, if Marbley's partnering with them, that means they, mu- they must be solid. I got together with Akeem, and everything was great, and we're like, and that's the church that you guys know if you've been here over the last few weeks, that we, has been our first church planting partner, and, uh, you know, even as we're not yet self-sustaining, you know, we're trying to take uh, impact offerings for the sake of starting the way we want to, and in faith, investing in other church plants, and in ministry opportunities, um, and I just can't help but be filled thinking about in this moment that we want to be a church like Moberly, and church family, man, if there's an exciting opportunity for us to step into it's to be a church like Moberly. It's not just, by the way, supporting churches here in, in, in Mountain View or in Oakland, but also in Campbell and also in other parts of the Bay Area and across the world. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many churches you guys are currently. 22. 22. Right now. I'm sorry, I don't know why I didn't give this to you. Uh, so all that's to say, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't have Well, David, I'd love to pray with you. I, I love the text today in Luke 15. Um, what a powerful word that J- Jesus reminds us in three different parables. And I don't want to uh, take the joy of, of unpl- unpacking that text, but that really motivates us all because we all want to be a part of something bigger than us. Isn't that right? I mean, that's why we're here. You're here. Whether you're asking questions about the Lord or whether you've known the Lord for a long time in a personal way, we all want to be a part of something bigger. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we get into a thing called the church, David, and we tend to make it all about us. And so um, we're, we're from uh, Texas, my son and I, my oldest son, and um, we've got three boys. And so uh, we've been a part of this church for 12 years. And, and, in, and in church world, David, you know this, but uh, Marbury's kind of a, a big church. Um, but we, we're all about statistics and numbers and that kind of thing. And, and so, uh, but in God's eyes, it's not that big. You know, heaven's big. <laughs> a local church, you know, uh, a few hundred or a few dozen, it really doesn't matter, or a few thousand. God's got it all figured out. But we all want to be part of something bigger than us. And so God's done a miracle at our church where we're at. And so we want to make sure that we're faithful to be a part of, of a God-sized vision. And so my prayer for you here is the same thing, is that it's always bigger than you think it is. God's plans for you in your life and this church are always bigger. And I remember you and I and Cindy and Angie, my wife, about four years ago, and we kind of first connected and just uh, dreaming. And here we are, third year birthday. Uh, it's bigger than you possibly could imagine of what God wants to do in your life. And that's how we pray for you. Uh, at Mobberley, and so every Sunday morning, I've got a group of about two dozen men, and we lay on the floor on our face before God, and, and uh, we just cry out to God to move 
And we pray specifically for current church and other churches that God has allowed us to partner with. And so, um, and, and by the way, that's a few hours earlier. So, you know, <laughs> we're already taking a nap by covered. the time that you guys are starting. Yeah, but, uh, but it's great to be a part of something bigger because, you know, we see crowds everywhere. We were at the Giants game last night. We were kind of baseball fans, and we couldn't resist going last night to the game. And we're going to go to an Oakland game tomorrow night, try to get as much baseball as we can. But um, you see thousands of people. And, and, it, and it's cool to see a crowd, but it's, it's so much better when you're connected to, to that crowd as, as a family member. And so that's our prayer for us. And we're going to get to do that in heaven. It's going to be great. And so uh, I'd love to just pray for you, David, and, and pray for church, current church. Would you join me right now just praying and asking God uh, for his favor here? Father, we thank you so very much for how you bless your work. God, I thank you for the fact that the church, we could really use the word family. Because, God, it is a family. You created the family at the beginning of time. And then, God, a few thousand years later, you created the church. And we thank you today that that is uh, almost one and the same. And, God, I do thank you so very much for current church. It's leaders. Uh, Father, it's family. It's new. It's old. It's uh, what you're doing here. It's uniqueness. I thank you for this location. I thank you for the imprint, uh, even in the Silicon Valley, God, that you're using uh, Monday through Saturday of your people uh, being a great light and a witness for Jesus. Father, I thank you for the reminder of that to, to me in my life, even this morning. And uh, we do thank you today that your church is worshiping you in, in Oakland and um, in, uh, in California and Texas and around the world. God, it, it, only you can keep all those things straight and every detail and every life, and you're involved in every life. And God, even as we're going to look at today, how you rejoice, all of heaven has a party. Um, God, the size of only something you could pull off. But when one person begins that relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and so we thank you today. I thank you for many here in this room who um, are growing in their relationship with you as well. And we thank you today for all that you're doing. Bless David, God. Bless uh, your work here, even as you open the word to our hearts today, God. Uh, stretch our thinking. Grow our thinking. Remind us that it's bigger than anything one of us could ever be a part of. But thanks for letting us join you in that. God, thank you for your blessings on Current Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we give a big round of applause thanking God for Pastor Glenn and Marbley Church? Boy, I can think of no better backdrop to today's message than that, which, of course, we planned all along. Uh, no, the Lord planned, uh, which is really fun. Um, yeah, so we're continuing today's vision series, Imperfect Together, considering how God uses imperfect people to uh, extend his perfect love. The first week, we, we considered the thought of uh, the imperfect church. Last week, we talked about grace and truth. Both of those messages are online, by the way. If you want to check them out, you can. Today, we're going to talk about one value that is very near and dear to the heart of current, and that is we desire to be a church that is outward-focused. We want to be a church that is outward-focused. From the very beginning, even before we were birthed, we wanted to be a church that is all about uh, beyond our own walls, uh, beyond just the people who are gathering here or wherever we happen to be gathering, but always seeking to look and care for those around us and to reach those who are far from God, we want to be outward focused. And actually, as Pastor Glenn just mentioned, uh, we, have we have wanted this to be a, a, a value of ours that we articulate, not only because we feel like this is a value of God's, but we also have the humble understanding of human nature, and that is it's really easy to become inward-focused. Uh, you can start out as an organization. Churches can start out with the view of being outward-focused, 
But human nature, human tendency tends to, to bring us into an inward focus. And we have said from the very beginning, we want to fight that. We want to live and vigilantly go after being an outward-focused church. Uh, Cindy and I attended a church from afar when we lived in China. And when I say afar, I mean really afar because uh, the church was in New York. Uh, how's that work? We were in China. Well, we were listening to sermons, okay? We were getting together with a small group of folks. Obviously, uh, going to church in China is a little bit different, especially for expatriates. Uh, but we were attending a little small group there in Shanghai, and we would get together and listen to these sermons that we would download from a church in New York called Redeemer Church. Pastor there is Tim Keller. The group there just uh, enjoyed listening to those sermons, so we'd listen to those, and we just would um, kind of uh, break them down in, in discussion, apply them to our lives. Well, through that process, I got to know really well Redeemer Church, their vision, their values, what they were doing. And Redeemer Church, I grew to learn, is extremely outward-focused. I mean, we're talking, they are killing it in the community with the poor, taking care of tangible needs, meeting the, 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 you know, the disenfranchised and serving people in the city. Uh, they are killing it in the sense of helping folks in the corporate setting in terms of doing programs and resourcing. Now they've grown to be a big church, just doing a lot of things to help people in the corporate world live out their faith in the, in the workplace or be better in their workplace in whatever means that, that might take. They are killing it in the church planning sense. I mean, last I checked, and this was years ago, they had planted something like 220 churches all around the world in the, mo in the most urban of urban areas. Uh, that was back then. And by the way, they're not just planting churches of their own tribe. They're also just really helping churches outside their tribe, including, by the way, coincidentally, Cindy and I have a, an incubator session this week that's initially started by a Redeemer Church thing that's open to folks who aren't necessarily of their tribe. And we're going to be seeing folks and pouring into each other, learning from folks this week because of Redeemer's vision and heart to be outward-focused. They are incredibly outward-focused. That's why when I read at one point uh, that their leadership at the beginning of each year, the board of elders, the board of directors, uh, it was so surprising to me to read that this incredibly outward-focused church, their board of elders at the beginning of the year starts in prayer confessing that they in all likelihood have become inward-focused. They start the year praying saying, God, we, we, we don't know necessarily how. Maybe we do know how, and in these areas, we want to talk about that specifically in prayer to you. But even in ways we undoubtedly don't know, we have probably come to the place where we're not as outward-focused as we ought to be. We've probably come, become more inward-focused than we should be. And I was thinking about that. I was like, man, that's a church that is so outward-focused, and yet their leadership is working with the running assumption that they have probably become inward-focused in the process. And that struck me, especially as we think about our value here as, at Current, is we want to be vigilant towards remaining to, uh, that we're going to run after those who are far from God, those who feel disconnected, those who are not uh, necessarily inside uh, the walls of this church. We, we want to write into our DNA uh, that we are an outward-focused church, a church focused beyond our own comfort, beyond our own needs, and for the people in our lives and in the community. Um, who have never received the grace that God wants to offer them. And we want to make this such an ingrained priority that uh, we are leveraging all that we are and all that we have for this sake in terms of programs, resourcing, our talents. We don't want to ignore the outsider for the sake of the insider's comfort. Uh, and as such, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, our hope is that this value would be something near and dear to your heart. Uh, and this would be something that we could live out together. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't identify 
as a Christ follower, you picked a great day to come because it's my hope that you get to hear why we value you so highly and why we do church the way that we do church. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this text, and I I believe we're going to see at least uh, three principles that help us in being an outward-focused church. Uh, We've prayed, um, so let's just just jump straight in. Uh, Three principles for how uh, we can be an outward-focused church. Okay, so just to jump into this text, we see that Jesus spent a lot of time with those seemingly disconnected from God. This won't be on your screens, but if you have your Bible, uh, you see in the first sentence here of chapter 15 uh, of Luke that Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners and with tax collectors. Other places it says that he spent a lot of time with prostitutes. The gospel writers really highlighting these sorts of people, all of whom were considered social outcasts in the day. That's what Jesus was spending his time with, the people who were sexually promiscuous, people who were known for being greedy and money-hungry, by the way, at the expense of others, and, and so on. And the religious leaders did not like that one bit. Uh, this will be on your screen, uh, chapter 15 of Luke, verse 2. These religious leaders muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, here's the thing I love about Jesus. Okay, there's many things I love. But here's one of the things I love about Jesus. He's not me. <laughs> and he's not you. Uh, well, I can't speak for you. But if I were in that situation, and I had the values that we know Jesus had, uh, you know how I would have probably responded in that moment with people muttering, you know, from their religious whatever, uh, high horse or whatever it might be? I probably would have opened a can of rebuke, right? I would have probably been like, look, guys, hold on. Time out. Let's get at this. But Jesus isn't me, thank God. Uh, What does Jesus do? Instead of rebuking these Pharisees, he actually launches into a story meant to help us understand how much God cares for people. Isn't that awesome? And he talks about shepherding. Now, he never uses the word shepherding or shepherd, but it's clear that what he's talking about it. In fact, he actually personalizes this for his hearers then and, and of course, for us now as we look at this down the ages. But look at uh, Matthew 15, verses 3 and 4. Suppose one of you, he says, uh, you know, you had 100 sheep, and you lost one, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go after that one? Wouldn't you just search far and wide to find that one sheep that's been lost from the flock in order to bring them back in? Here's the first principle just to kind of pull out here. In order to be outward focused, we need to give disproportionate attention to those outside the fold. I believe what we see here is in order to be outward focused, we need to give disproportionate attention to those outside the fold. Uh, Jesus was talking to a culture, of course, that would have heard these questions and, and these, this teaching of Jesus a little bit rhetorically when Jesus said, guys, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go after that lost sheep? In that culture, they would have understood, yeah, everybody would have done that. Any shepherd would have done that. Uh, we need to understand, we, we need to give disproportionate attention to those outside the flock. Now, before we dive into that a little bit more, I do think we need to address the fact that God cares a ton about the sheep, so to speak, inside the flock, uh, those inside the fold. His love for those in the church who have received him, who are followers of his, he just loves just abundantly. That's, that's made perfectly clear. His personal love, his deep, infinite love for each person who is his follower. And he regularly, by the way, uses the illustration or analogy of being our good shepherd to express that love for us. Uh, you know, talking about, I know my sheep and they know my voice and so on. That's a great picture of God's love for those inside the fold. Uh, We don't have to be shepherds or have grown up in a shepherd culture to understand this, but the shepherds spent 24-7 with their flock. Uh, They knew everything about each and every one of their sheep, you know, the blemishes, the physical, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, attributes of each sheep. They, they knew intimately when, 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 e- when a sheep was sick and how to give care for it, probably before that sheep itself fully understood. It just was, they were able to read the signs. They understood what, which of their sheep were prone to wander. Well, they all were. That's what sheep do. But which ones would, would have a, a harder time following, which would do a better job, uh, which would need more care and attention, where to place them in the flock, and so on and so forth. All this to show that God loves us and cares for us in these ways, actually even more so. That illustration doesn't even scratch the surface of his love and intimacy towards us. But what we also need to see and understand is that God cares about the sheep who are yet to be in the flock. Or actually, how Jesus would say here in other parts of the Bible, who need to be brought back in. Now that's an interesting thought. Be brought back in. Those who are not yet in the fold need to be brought back in. Uh, That's the story of the Bible. That's the teaching of the Bible that those that, that we have all chosen to go our own way, that we have all wandered, that we have all decided to live a life apart from God, and God wants to call us back home. And what he wants us to be about as a church is willing to go after those outside the fold and to give disproportionate attention to this. But the reality is often we don't. You guys are uh, no doubt, even if you didn't grow up in the church, aware of Jesus' one of his most famous commandments, and that is, love your neighbor. They talk about an outward-focused commandment. Love your neighbor. Um, This is something he obviously calls us all to do. But as straightforward as it it is, we often actually don't do that, Christian friends, do we? Um, There was a recent survey I was looking at that uh, interviewed Christians, uh, asking them if if they knew their neighbor's names. The whole idea, of course, there is how can you love somebody if you don't even yet know their name? Now, if I'm saying that and you don't know your neighbor's names, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or, like, you know, come down on you. But it is an interesting thought, is it not? Uh, do you know your neighbor's names? You're, you're probably not surprised to hear that a lot of the folks in that survey did not know their neighbor's names. Um, some did, by the way. It uh, wasn't all that bleak, but some did. And, and we need to in order to love them. Um, you know, uh, there's a friend of ours uh, who takes this a step further, and uh, she talks about it in such a way of, like, I don't want to just hopefully know their names, which is a challenge for her, she'll, she'll admit. She says, I want to also know the color of their sofa, and I want them to know the color of mine, uh, if and when that's possible, um, to invite people in and have such an intimate relationship that we can even know what, what our sofas look like because we're spending time with each other, a relationship and re- reciprocity. Uh, Jesus shows us that we need to give a disproportionate attention to reaching those outside the fold. But here's the thing. You know, as we think about this, this doesn't necessarily have to take all that much time or all that much effort. I think it starts with really just giving, uh, just having more of perspective, having a, a more of a mindset that we need to give our attention to this. Uh, Cindy, uh, my wife and our executive director, uh, does an amazing job at this. Now, every once in a while, she'll organize opportunities for our neighbors to get to know each other, and that's, that's great. Uh, but the vast majority of the time in terms of, of her living this out is actually just in the informal, casual day-to-day. When people are driving in and through our garage complex, uh, she tries to say hello. Uh, when people are walking by or at the mail stop, she tries to say ho- hello and engage. And if and when something comes up, to offer to help. Uh, just in these natural uh, intersections that are, that are in her life. Uh, we actually have one of uh, our current families that's hosting a mixed group that I just found out recently uh, this summer hosted a happy hour for their neighbors. How cool of an idea is this? A happy hour where I think they serve just wine and, and cheese uh, just so that the neighborhood can get to know each other. And I was talking to them about this, and they were saying how uh, there had been folks in the neighborhood who had lived there 
20 or so years and 30 or so years right across from each other who had never met each other. So think about that. And here they were just kind of getting to know each other and, and helping facilitate relationships like this. Uh, that same interaction, uh, uh, intersection is, is all around us in terms of relationships, in the cubicle, around you know, in the office space, with our neighbors. Uh, when we drop off our kids in the workplace, we just need to be shifting, Christ followers are called to, our attention to those outside of the fold. Uh, you know what's uh, really fun about this? is actually there's an incredible opportunity for us to do that here on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, to be present and outward focused in our time here as we even get to know each other uh, before and after and, and sometimes even during uh, the service. Um, uh, that's what we're trying to create the space is when folks come here, again, if you're here from the Art and Wine Festival or you got a mailer or whatever it might be, we want to create a space where you feel welcome. Uh, you know, early on we had a rule for the, for the team uh, we called it the three-minute rule. You guys know this or remember this from the early days. Uh, we had this three-minute rule where we said, okay, for the three minutes after the service, if you're on any team, let's just go ahead and not tear down, but let's just use that three minutes to get to know folks, especially looking for folks that we have not uh, interacted with before. Because you know how it goes if you've ever visited a church. Maybe you're here today and this is going to be you. It's been me. You know, after the, you know, in the first three minutes, I'll hang around the church for a little bit. And then if no one said hello to me, I'm out of there. And actually, three minutes in that sense feels like an eternity. <laughs> Sometimes for me, it feels like I need to do the 50-yard dash and just get out of here. And that's you. Hey, that's okay. But we'd love to have an opportunity to just kind of get to know you. And so we've said three minutes. Let's not tear down. The, you know, we, we need to be intentional about it. But that's the point. We need to be intentional. We, have, we give our attention to it. It's really easy on Sunday mornings, friends, to see a group of friends and say, oh, I'm going to connect with them. I'm just going to hang out with them. I'm not trying to knock that, if that's you, and you did that this morning or whatever. That's fine. That's good. We need to connect with each other, catch up. But we also need to be thinking about this very intentionally with, with folks that we have not yet met or whatever might be new in our midst to reach out and be intentional with inviting them in, welcoming them in. Um, you know, one of the fun things about Current, I was actually sharing this this morning with someone, someone who's new, is by God's grace, and I hope this never changes, oh, there's a lot of people who are also new here at Current. <laughs> and we've only been here three years, which means if you've been here about a year, you're an old-timer. Uh, and part of that's a reflection of our culture, right, where one to two years is about the average of corporate stay in the workplace. And part of that's just a natural thing. But you know what this means for you, by the way, if you're new? It means that you have opportunity to jump right in on this. You know, like when I go to churches, and again, this is not to like knock or whatever, this is just perspective building. I'll go to churches and I'll just assume everybody knows each other. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I'm just going to tell you that's not necessarily true here at Current. <laughs> If you're new, you could jump in and get to know folks, and that's why it's also, by the way, a good time to jump into small groups because a lot of those folks there yourselves, if, 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 you're, if you're new, uh, will be new themselves. Um, but I, I hope that that's built into our culture. Are you hearing that? That, we, that this is an outward focus that, that is, uh, is inside us. We need to give our attention disproportionate to those outside the fold. It doesn't take much, but it can be the world of a difference. We'll talk about, actually, when I say world of a difference, it can make an eternal difference. That's the point of Jesus parable, his story here. I remember baptizing a gal that I got to know, and uh, right before the baptism, she shared a little bit about her story, and she mentioned about how a few years before, she had felt that God was, or some higher power, she didn't know, was telling her that she should probably check out church. Uh, she'd never really been to church before. She thought it was kind of a weird thought or feeling. She'd been going through some hard times, so she figured, you know what, I'll give this a try. I'll go check out some churches. So she Googled churches in the area and started to go to a church. 
And that first week, sadly, she went to church and not a single person said hello to her. Not a single person. She left. She figured, okay, I'll try another church. She went again the next week. Not a single person at that church said hello to her. She went home. And after this point, maybe she went one more time, same thing happened. But at, at, after a certain point, she said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. This is hard. I'm going through a hard time. God, if you're there, whatever's happening, I'm, you know, I, I can't do this. Well, a couple weeks later, she figured, you know what, I'll give this one more shot. So she looked up, another church, went to it, happened to be the church I was at. She said at that, at that church, that service, someone smiled at her, brought her into the fold, connected her with a few others. It wasn't a whole lot. And she, over the course of the next couple weeks, she got to hear the gospel, and she's like, oh, my goodness. This God who's been, I've been searching for my whole life has actually been searching for me, and I put my, put my faith in Jesus, she shared. And after that, I said, I said, Elizabeth, I said, something about your story is just really striking to me. Is it true that you can trace back your, in your story to ultimately putting your faith in Jesus to someone smiling at you? And she thought about that for a second, and she said, yeah, someone smiled at me. I was like, I'm going to tell this story to every Usher team and welcome team. <laughs> and you guys, <laughs> share the story. I mean, I get the goosebumps just remembering that story. It doesn't take a whole lot, guys. A smile. But it, what was that? That was out of an intentional spirit of being about focusing on others, uh, caring for those outside the community. Uh, giving to, we need to give disproportionate attention to those outside the fold. Second principle I think we see here is in order to be outward focused, we need to be willing to have a spirit of doing whatever it takes. Now, real quick, when I say whatever it takes, I'm not talking about sin or anything that's like not savory. Okay, obviously you know that that's not what we're talking about here. But just a spirit of just going for it, willing to take risks. You know, Jesus asked the question, doesn't the, the, the one who's lost his sheep leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Like, let's be real. Sheep were their livelihood back then. To, like, leave 99 sheep out in the fields, that was a scary endeavor. That was a risky thing. But he, Jesus asked it, like, not, like, rhetorically, of course you'd leave that. You'd leave all this, you know, you'd, 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 do a, you'd have a whatever-it-takes spirit about you. Um, Cindy and I recently visited Disneyland with our, our little ones, and we had the very not-fun experience of losing track of our little one for a short period of time. Um, our, little, our little Maddie. I want to give some context so you don't judge me as a parent, okay? <laughs> I know what you're doing because I've been, never mind. Uh, it was one of those things where we were leaving the bathroom and we were setting out in a certain direction. She thought we were going in another direction and our little one has a way of just deciding what she's going to do and just doing it. And it happened to be at like, you know, one of those intersections of four crazy paths, like, you know, crazy popular ride, crazy popular ride. And it's just like, you know, salmon swimming up all these sorts of streams all at once. She just took off. And I didn't actually know until later after having a chance of talking to her. Spoiler alert, we did find her. Um, and, uh, and, and what she... <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, anyways, uh, I, I found out later, after we like, had recovered her, that she had also, and this is such a little Maddie, that she had, once she felt like she didn't know where we were, just started running faster in a direction that was not in our... In our the <laughs> we learned a lot about what to do when we're lost that day and what, you know, as a family and as kids. So anyways, okay, so we lost her. But in the midst of that, I'll tell you guys, I went into like matrix mode. Like I started like, I was like, where is she? And I mean that through anxiety, right? I was just like, where is she, Maddie? Where are you? Maddie, where are you? Maddie, where are you? Maddie. 
And, you know, I had a lot of looks of like, who's this dude who lost a little kid? But you know what? Normally, I'm a people pleaser. Normally, I would have cared a lot about that. I wasn't caring about that right now. And I left Caleb and Cindy. Thankfully, Cindy was a part of this equation, so Caleb was in good hands. But I, I'm just major, like, where is Maddie? And I'm standing in that intersection, because I don't know where else to go, just looking through the breaks of the crowds when they open up, looking for Maddie. And sure enough, at one point, I see her running in that direction. I'm just like, oh. So I run after her, and even that moment's really scary, because there's still a crowd i got to fight, and I'm just like, okay. Hopefully your anxiety hasn't been raised like mine in the retelling of the story. My point is, in that moment, it was just, I don't care. Like, it's just a whatever it takes. I got to go find that little one. You, you with me? And it's just like, I think that's what God wants us to do in some sense when it comes to looking for those or being available or, 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 or thoughtful for those outside the fold. The shepherd left the 99 in open country. You know, I've listened to sermons on this text because it's a famous text. And I remember preachers, and this is not meant to be a knock or anything. I, I remember pre- preachers saying, you know, something like, oh, yeah, they probably had other shepherds to take care of the sheep while they went and did that. Like, there's no mention of that. If anything, it seems like, you know, Jesus in his work in open country, he's like stressing the fact that, no, they, there's, there's a risk involved here. There's a whatever-it-takes mindset um, to reach those far from God. What does this look like for us? Corporately? You know, this is why, for instance, we did the Art and Wine Festival this last week. Uh, that's, that's kind of a whatever-it-takes, even a bit of a risky endeavor for us uh, in a number of ways. So, for instance... Uh, you know, that was happening on one of the busiest years, uh, uh, Sundays or weekends of the year last week. It was a launch, you know, sign-ups of current groups. We just launched our youth ministry last weekend. You know, we're a set-up-and-tear-down thing. It was over the weekend, so logistically we had, we drew people, uh, you know, helpers from here to go do that even during the service, which, by the way, is also a little bit, is not something we just do lightly. We care about corporate worship and having, you know, those who can be here present. So that was thoughtful. You know, this is not something that makes uh, just a ton of sense financially speaking. Uh, you know, we have to purchase the booth to be out there, which isn't like the cheapest thing in the world. Uh, even while we are still receiving external support ourselves and working towards self-sustaining, even as we're out there, as in that booth, trying to raise support for three local charities and nonprofits uh, that we're in, in involved with. Um, and let's be real, you know, going out there, you know, financially speaking and, and, and doing all these things, it's not like we're, we're doing that in order to kind of like, you know, make up for it financially, but maybe we'll attract people and come, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll earn it back that way. That's not why we're not out there for any of those reasons, and, and despite these different things that uh, make it hard for us to be out there. So why are we out there as a church? I don't know why we're out there as a church. No, we're out there as a church to be present in the community. People might say, well, Art and Wine Festival, we get this every year. Why is, it, why is a church out in Art and Wine Festival? And we do that one line we love. It, Jesus turned water into wine, and we're out here just trying to be a presence in the community, building, you know, making balloon animals. I saw people doing that. That's awesome. Uh, you know, talking about these charities and nonprofits for the sake of being out there in the hopes of people ultimately coming to know Jesus having spiritual conversations as we can, talking about Jesus, having gospel conversations. I was telling Cindy this. She mentioned this actually last week in announcements. When, we came, when I came up to the booth, uh, when it was my turn to volunteer, I came up and I was struck with the fact that the person I ran into first was a person we met out at the Art and Wine Festival last year. Serving. And I was just like, this is what this is all about. Um, that's why we do things like that corporately. But what does this look like on, on, uh, on the individual level or on the family level? Uh, it means going for it. 
with spiritual conversations. We've talked about this in the past. One of, one of the things we've talked about is, you know, one of our ministries as, as Christians in a place like the Silicon Valley that's not known for being terribly receptive towards Christianity is just to surface with our faith. You know, it's not always finding a soapbox and standing up in the middle of the workplace and saying, I believe in Jesus and you need to do. But also not, nor is it shying away from talking about him altogether. Or when people ask where we're going tonight and it's, the answer is Bible study, they're like, well, I've got this thing. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to this Bible study or I'm going to church the week, whatever it might be. Put an arm, bring it around somebody. I love Pastor Glenn said this beforehand when I, when I shared uh, with him kind of like the, the, the message idea. And he said, man, there's a real vision in that, of course, because how else do any of us ever make it into this fold if not for somebody putting an arm around us and bringing us in? And that's exactly it. That's what we're talking about. Uh, we need to have an outward focus and have a willingness, this mindset of a whatever it takes. Uh, what could that look like in your, in your life? Uh, friends, how can we do this together, individually, here on Sunday mornings, in our small groups, in our neighborhoods, in the workplaces? How can we fight to remain outward focused? How can we help each other in that? Giving disproportionate attention to those outside the fold, having a willingness of whatever it, ta- a willingness of whatever it takes, even taking risks. Uh, last principle, and I believe, actually I know, this is to be the most important of all of them uh, from this text we see, that in order to be outward focused, we need to see that this is what Jesus has done for us. You know, my favorite part about this story, this parable, is yes, we can glean what we've been gleaning today of like, hey, here are some principles about how we are to be as his church reaching out to others. And in very real, real ways, I think that story, this story Jesus told for us to understand that and take this away, but ultimately that's not what the story is about at all. What? What have we been talking about? In telling the story, yes, Jesus was showing a little bit about how we can have principles for how we are ought to be and how we ought to be there for the outsider, what we can do for them, but ultimately in telling the story, he's actually not doing that. He's showing us what he came to do for us. That's what the story is all about. This story is a picture of the gospel, which literally means the good news of Jesus. The gospel is we are all sheep. The Bible talks about that often. We're all sheep, prone to wonder. And he, Jesus, the Lord, is our good shepherd. In fact, with that understanding in the story that we have been looking at in front of us, hear the words of Jesus about himself in another gospel account. This is from John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the, for the sheep. Listen to this. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. That's what we've been talking about, how God calls us to be a part of this work that he does for us. The reason my Father loves me, he went on to say, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus came to be the shepherd who would not let that one get away if that that one would come back into his arms. And so this is what we see. And what's all this talk about Jesus laying down his life here in, in terms of him being our good shepherd? That's him showing that he was willing to do whatever it takes. The gospel is he not just lived among us, teaching us things, these things, modeling these things for us, but he went to the cross where he didn't just do whatever it takes and, and take a risk, but no, he went full, fully knowing that it would cost him everything. Um, listen to how First Peter uh, talks about this. Same imagery of sheep and shepherd in terms of our relationship with God and his with us. 
He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is the good shepherd. And if you are here today and you've never received who he is and what he has done for you on the cross, forgiveness of sins, and because he raised again, he was raised again the, on the third day, life in his name, a restored relationship with him, if there's nothing else you hear today, we want you to hear this, that you can receive a relationship restored with God because of what Jesus came to do for you on the cross. And you can do that today in your heart. Make that decision. Uh, John talks about this in his, in his gospel. Where he says, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. If you hear nothing else today, if you're not a follower of his, you can become one today and receive what he's done for you. Based in, entirely not on what you can do or earn for yourself, but what he has done for you. And then if you have received him today, it's, this self, it's the same selfless love this outward-focused love that he had for you and me that begins to help us actually live out some of this stuff that we know we're called to. Um, to have a disproportionate attention to those outside the face, to have a willingness to do whatever it takes. What's going to help us do that? Mind over matter? Just, just discipline to say, I'm just going to start doing it? Maybe. Hopefully. Sort of. But what's really going to do that is to understand this is what God has, has done for us. So why wouldn't we start to do this for others? And not out of a sense of guilt or obligation, but out of a sense of gratitude. Jesus came for us. Not just taking a risk, but giving his life for the sake of helping us into his fold. And it doesn't take a whole lot. Sometimes it just takes a smile or an invitation or a, 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 a spiritual conversation that could mean all the world, no, all of eternity. I love how Jesus ends the story with the real emphasis of the story on joy and rejoicing. Uh, let me read this again together, even as we conclude our time. Uh, I want to read this, and just with all that we've talked about, and all that we understand that really this is Jesus talking about his love for us, let's just let this sink in as we, as we close our time together, and then pray. Luke 15, 5 and 7 say, and when he finds that lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. Let's pray. Father, we are absolutely floored to know, to be told that this is your heart for us, that you are willing to leave everything, and not just 99 sheep on a field, but, but heaven even life itself for the sake of bringing us back into the fold if we would receive you. Actually, in, in fact, if, if we could, while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed for the sake of privacy, I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you have never received the offer of, of Jesus, life in his name because of what he has done for you and me on the cross, forgiveness of sins, and because God the Father raised him to life on the third day, we can have a restored relationship with him. I want to give you that opportunity to receive that today. Uh, this is a decision we make in our hearts when we believe, we receive, and we put our hope and trust in him. But I would invite you in this time, if you have, if you have made that decision, you can indicate that now by raising your hand. Uh, the raising of your hand is not something mystical or special. Uh, that, what, what hap what, the important thing is what we decide in our hearts. But I will see your hand 
I'll pray for you, but more importantly, God will see it and understand what's happening in your heart and receive you. But I want to give you an opportunity, if you'd like to receive Jesus today, you can raise your hand, I'll see it and pray for you. Just give a few moments. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, that you ran after us, that you did whatever it takes, even going to the cross, dying for us to give us life. Lord, with that same love and with that same heart, would you help build into our DNA as a church and as individuals to be mindful and loving of those outside the fold. Would you help us to see them, value them, bring them in, even as we need your help in all these things. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.